If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read to you from the fourth chapter of the book of Romans, and just one verse, verse 3. Then the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, and just one verse there, and it's verse 2. And then we'll be over in the book of Galatians, and chapter 4, and just one verse there. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. What saith the scripture? Come on forward with me to Romans chapter 11, at verse 2. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Now here's the old English word, what. What ye not, don't you know what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, and it goes on and tells the rest of the story there. One more verse, Galatians chapter 4, and I want to read verse 30. Galatians 4 verse 30, it says, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Now, Galatians 4, along with Romans chapter 4 as well, we could include really verse 2 in chapter 11. It's considering one subject, but that's not really what I want to aim at today. I want you to really be impressed with the phrase, what saith the scripture? So I gave this message a title, Look at the Book. You've heard me say it to you over the years. Just read what it says. Now, that's really an oversimplification, depending on what part of the Bible that you're reading or how acclimated you are to biblical teaching. However, the point still stands. What does the scripture say? Not what does the preacher say, which we would hope would be what the scripture is saying. But we already know by experience that's not always the case. So let me just colloquialize it for you and say this way. What does the Bible say? Not what does the book about the Bible say, though commentaries are helpful and theology books are helpful. Not what does the preacher say, even though we would make an assumption that preachers want to be biblically oriented. But it's what does the scripture actually say? What does the Bible say? So I want to impress upon you this one thought. Look at the book. Look at the book. I was reading a title that was somewhat engaging, even though the book itself doesn't have much to do with the point that I want to make, but it's a memoir, and the title of the book is The Man Who Forgot to Read. And it's the story of a Canadian writer, a mystery fiction writer, I guess successful writer, who one night had a strange event happen to him, which was he had a stroke while he was asleep. And then it was soon discovered the change made in the brain from the stroke left him with the ability to continue his writing, but he couldn't read. He could write his stories, his books, he could write whatever he wanted, but then he couldn't even read it. A very unusual case. He worked with the notable neurologist, Oliver Sacks, and they were able to get this man back to a place where he could read again. Very unusual. He could write, he could continue writing, but he couldn't even read a single word. He knew what he wrote, but he couldn't read it. Again, Oliver Sacks and this man, the writer, worked together and they restored his ability to read. But it's the title. And something in the memoir, I think, has application to what I want to say to you today. Look at the book. We know there are plenty of professing Christians who have forgot how to read the Bible. And I don't mean exactly like this man forgot where they can't read. They just don't. 
How in the world are you going to know what anybody's telling you is the truth if you don't know what the Bible says for yourself? Well, the answer is you won't. You're going to have to really, really trust the people you listen to. Hopefully you could trust me. I want to believe that you could trust me. I do my best, but I'm not infallible either. What does the Bible say? Look at the book. The man who forgot to read the title of the memoir by Howard Engel and his story with this stroke and the handicap that he eventually overcame again, or he could read again and he overcame the handicap, has some application. It's twofold. Number one is people who have, in a manner of speaking, forgotten to read the Bible. And then you may say, well, thankfully, that's not me. I read every day. Then there's a second application to this man's story, which we find actually in the book of James. Do you forget what you've read? And I'm not talking about Bible memorization. I'll talk about that maybe later. Did you comprehend what you read? Did you comprehend what Jesus said, the apostles said, the prophets said? Did you comprehend all that? The man who forgot to read. Is it applicable to you to say you're the Christian who forgot to read? I mean, I don't do this to embarrass you. You know that. It's to exhort you. At the end of this past year, I how many read the Bible through? And, you know, it wasn't everybody. Okay, fine. So we make 2022 different. So read your Bible through. Oh, I missed a day. Oh, I missed a week. Okay, that happens. Get back in it. Look at the book. Read it for yourself. That's why God has placed it in our possession. Remember I told you, throughout Christian history, churches barely had a copy of the Bible. Some of them had portions of a Bible. Now God has seen fit over the last few hundred years to distribute it to anybody who wants to read it. Oh, and you say, well, pastor, if you only knew my life. Let me tell you something. If you only knew my life, I'm a whole lot busier than appearances are. But you say, but you're a pastor. You're supposed to read the Bible. Granted, but I have already established the fact, and it's a fact, that many, I would say most, <clears throat> many pastors don't read the Bible, don't pray, that's for sure, and we go from there. Look at the book. Are you the Christian who forgot to read? I said, no, 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 it's not me. Cover to cover, I've read it. Okay, that's good. But are you like Howard Engel in this respect? You don't know what you read. In a little bit, I'll give you an example about reading practical books, the how-to books. How-to on anything is a practical book. It's different than reference books, different than commentaries, different than, you know, applied sciences. But you'll know that you're looking at the book when you obey what Christ has said to do. Otherwise, the value of reading the Bible is almost next to nothing. Why read it if you're not going to actually do it? Our call to holiness, our call to be faithful, our call to endure, our call to pick up the cross, and so on and so forth. See, that's the Christian who has not forgotten the book. Because again, I want to establish with you, because I know that here as your pastor, I know that many of you read the Bible, and many of you read it cover to cover, probably the majority of you. But that's not what I'm saying. By looking at the book, I'm saying, now that you've read it, are you the man who forgets what he reads? We see this in James. Looking into the perfect law of liberty and not doing it is like a man who looks in the mirror and as soon as he walks away, forgets exactly what he looks like. You can understand the analogy there that others know what you look like more than you do because they're always seeing you and you see yourself at your reflection on a limited basis. We are called, and I told you this recently as well, primarily by Islam, members of Islam. We are a people of the book. I have met in the years gone by now, in the Pentecostal movement particularly, where people would say, now that we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we don't need the Bible. And I've had this said to me. 
And I said, how in the world can you say something like that when the people who first had the Holy Spirit, the apostles, constantly were saying, what does the scripture say? Jesus quoted the scripture. Even Satan quoted the scriptures. Let me give you an example. Mark 12, 10. And have you not read this scripture? This is Jesus speaking. The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Romans 9, 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Romans 10, 11, and then Romans 11, 2. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Romans 11, 2. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. We just read this. What ye not what the scripture saith of Elias? James 4 and verse 5. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusts to envy. 2 Peter 1, 20 and verse 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures have any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And if you look this up, you took time to do a search and see how many times this is mentioned. It's mentioned very frequently in Old and New Testaments, but it comes in little different phrases. The writings, that's what graphe means. That's what scripture means, graphe. Well, we get graphite. Graphe, the writings. What do the writings say? Look at the writings. Look at the book. Some of you were brought up that way. I wasn't. But I learned to look at the book. And I say this all the time. And it's true as recently as right now in the morning. I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot. But the only book that really, really comforts me is the Bible. Amen. On any subject that I read, it just engages my attention. It takes me into, so to speak, another world because I just enjoy looking at the book. In other words, reading it, but not just reading it. You see, even though you know, I have some education in the Bible, you know, some diplomas, some degrees, if you were to look at me and say, isn't it interesting about the history of whatever you want to pull out, not the history of Israel, but things that go off into history and so forth related to the book, I must tell you truthfully that it never held much interest for me, like dates in history. I realize that they're important, but for some reason, I can't remember dates very well. I just remember the event. Now, if it's the American Civil War, World War I, World War II, even Vietnam, I know those dates. But I read a date in 1565. I almost skipped the date. I want to know what was the content, what was going on. In other words, I've always been interested in what holds my attention in the Bible. It's not just merely facts about an event, but the event itself. What is there to learn from this? This is how I've always read the Bible. How do I apply this to me? The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It means, here's the King James version of act like a man. Be strong. Quit you like men. Right? Speaking to men. Act like a man. Well, you know, in the world now, where we are now, that's a debatable subject. Uh, how do men actually act? I mean, can we really be sure? Well, the Bible is sure. So look at the book. It tells us, act like a man. And then you have all these exhortations. Well, people who forget to read the book, I don't know what's going to become of them in the days ahead. I don't know what they're going to use as guidance. But you say, no, that's not me. I read the Bible. Okay, so now we want to know, or now you want to know, are you applying what you read? Because without that, I would never go so far as say, just close the book, stop reading it. That may be taking the point too far. But I would say this as food for thought. What's the sense of reading it? I bought something recently out of the store just a few days ago. And the young girl who was selling me this object says, well, make sure you read the directions. I said, men don't read directions. 
We wait and we wait and we wait and then we blame the company. How could they do this? What is wrong with this thing? We don't, and that's what I told her when I was checking out. We don't read the directions until it's so hopeless. <laughs> There's no alternative but get out the directions, see what it says. And all of a sudden, in most cases, it's all cleared up. That's humorous when it comes to trying to do something around the house or fix something or put together something that you bought, but that's not very humorous when it comes to the book, the Bible. We are living in a world that is replete with distractions. I'm becoming more and more convinced as I watch, not kids, not some of you young people here listening to me, watching adults, that they're actually addicted to their cell phone. Addicted. I'm talking to people, these are adults. Some are senior citizens. I said, what are you doing? I'm just answering this quick text. Well, sometimes I have to do it because I'm a pastor. But I want to let you know if you're just saying, hey, how you doing? It's going to wait. I'm not going to do it during supper. And what it is, it's an addiction. But the last one to know they're addicted is the person that's addicted. To one day you realize that social media is controlling your life. So what is it? Then it becomes a distraction. And then when you have your mind so clouded with so many thoughts and statements and look what's happening over here and all that, the concentration is no longer here at the book. What does the book say? That's what you want to know. What does the book say? So look at the book. Look what it says. Read it for yourself. You don't want to be like Howard Engel in his affliction where you're looking at things, but you have no clue what it's saying. Let's talk about the power of the scriptures. A friend of mine remarked one day as I was just talking about Bible memorization. He says, you know, brother, he says, there's actually energy in that Bible. And I said, yeah. And interestingly, that's one of the words that we find in the Greek text is energeo, which is where we get our English word for energy. That it actually imparts to you a type of energy. But make no mistake about this. Other things that you read are imparting an energy to you as well. It could be that negative, hate-filled energy that's consuming you. And God says in his book, he says, put that away. Uh, now we have a choice to make, but I think that it's better to choose what God says in the book. Look at the book. The power of the scriptures. I know that many of you are familiar with the exploits of Sir Ernest Shackleton and his expeditions down at Antarctica. And the one that's most notable is the 1914 expedition as they go down there. And all of a sudden, the ship, which is the Endurance, which is a curious name because that's exactly what Sir Ernest Shackleton and his men had to do. They had to endure it. And they hit these uh, tempestuous weather, and they are afloat at sea, totally drifting for months and months and months. I forget exactly how many months it was, but it was a lot. It wasn't like six weeks. It was months and months and months. They had no control over the ship. Finally, it comes upon the rocks. It's totally destroyed. Now, this is Antarctica, so you can do the math yourself on what the temperatures could have been. But he has his men there on the shore. They're going to die. They're going to die. And so he gets in a 20-foot long boat. Few men go with him, and he travels over 800 miles for help. Some of the seas, some of the swells were over 100 feet. If you've ever been on the top of a 10 story building, that's 100 feet up to the 10th floor. It's 100 feet. These are huge, huge waves. And then taking the frigid temperatures and the Arctic cold and the winds and all of that, it is without a doubt one of the greatest exploits in history. 800 miles. They obtained the help, made their way back to rescue the men, and not even one of them died. Not even one of them died through the heroics of Shackleton and his men. But here's the thing. The only thing they had in that longboat, not like today with GPS and radio signals and all that, this is 1914. The only thing they had was a sextant. Now, someday, if you're interested, you can come into my office, and I'll show you a real sextant. 
that my father bought from a sea captain when he was in the Merchant Marines. They don't use them anymore, but this is a real sextant. If you've ever seen them, we navigate by the stars. That's all they had to navigate their way through 800 miles of evil weather to get help and get back to the men, and they were successful. This is your sextant. This is how you navigate your life. Otherwise, as the Apostle Paul also wrote, unless your faith is shipwrecked. People have shipwrecked faith and they're sitting in a service just like this one. And the faith is already shipwrecked. Maybe habit keeps them coming to church services. Maybe habit causes them to get up in the morning and read the Bible. But it's not reading the Bible. It's looking at it to say, how do I apply this to my life? What good? Look, it. I have a sextant, a real sextant. It's not a duplicate or a facsimile. It's a real one. I've never used it to navigate a boat. I've never used it. So it's a great analogy, I think. Why don't you just, I say, you, you, forgive me for being so personal. Why don't you just take your Bible and put it in a glass case? And every time people come to your house, say, this is the word of God. But somebody's going to come along and say, is it? And say, yes, it is. And if they're clever, they may say to you, then why don't you take it out of the case and read it? Why don't you look at the book? Because this is how we navigate our way through troubles and trials and tribulations. This is how we navigate our way through life's circumstances. This is how we know we're on the path to eternal life. This is our sextant. This is going to take us through the tempestuous seas that we're already in. And who knows how high these swells are going to be in the future. My own view is that what we're seeing all around us is not going to just suddenly go away. I think it's going to increase. But that's my view and that's my opinion. In either case, this is what we use to navigate. This is how we know right from wrong. This is how we know how to go forward with the port of call being to see Jesus face to face. That's our port of call. But we know from reading the scriptures that Jesus said in the seventh chapter of Matthew, In that day shall many say unto me, Lord, Lord, haven't we done? And he goes through this list of things and miracles and casting out of devils and prophecy. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Never, never knew you. Why? Because this was just, as I said, it was just as well put into a glass case. I actually got my grandfather's tools. He was a loom fixer. So a lot of times I get tutelage from all you people here from Amsterdam about factories. I lived in a row house made for carpet mill factory workers. That's why I always believe I'm called here, because basically I'm just like you. I didn't have any white privilege or anything like that. My grandfather was a loom fixer in the carpet mills, and if I took a rock and went like this from my little what is, stoop, we used to call it a stoop, I could break a window in the carpet mills. I know what they're like. So his tools are over here. My father's sextant's over here. I've never used those tools. I've never used that sextant, but I use this book. That sextant will only get you through water. This will get you through life. You say, oh, my marriage is in trouble. Well, believe it or not, God actually wrote about it. That may be hard to believe, but he did. But that doesn't do you any good until you obey what's written, until you put it into your life. And we know, of course, when we're sick and we need prayer, and I just solicited prayer for myself and the family and so forth. Um, <laughs> unless people are praying, I mean, really praying, I don't never tell people I'll pray for them and not pray for them. I mean, even on Facebook, people are always soliciting, please pray for this, that, the other thing. I actually start praying. I don't know the people. They're in foreign countries, many of them. I'm not saying I pray forever. I just pray right there. Oh, help them or heal the sick, whatever. But we know that when we're sick, we really want to know people are praying and interceding to a God who can heal any disease, Amen. any sickness. Like with God, nothing is impossible. 
But that statement, forgive me if I'm overboard with what I'm saying here, that statement means nothing unless we are following the rules by looking at the book and saying, you know what, I got to apply that. I have to actually do that. Listen to this verse in Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now here it is. This is the power of the scriptures. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We cover this, I'm sure. Is life working out the way that you thought it would? No. Is your life turning out the way you thought it would even when you accepted Christ? No. And that's because God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so we read in the scriptures, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How silly as this may sound to you, and it's going to sound silly. I know it is. I know it's going to sound silly. That verse went through my mind. I said, God, I thank you for rats. First of all, I don't know if the ones that may be circulating in my garage are not people I've pastored in the past. (laughs) So they may be actually people I know. I know rats are very, very clever uh, rodents. They're very clever, smarter than some people. In any case, that sounds very stupid, right? It sounds stupid. But I said, God, I don't understand it while all this is happening all at once. And there's other things, too. The flat tire I had below zero temperatures with Shackleton. I don't understand this, but there's some purpose in this, God, that I don't understand because his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So I've just got to say, when I thank you, God, for this training, which is exactly how I look at my own life, and I think that you should as well, for what we're going through now is training for the future. When things are going to get increasingly rough, you say they're rough now. Well, I think we're still in the atrium. I really think we're still in the lobby of what's yet to come. And, you know, the time to be prepared is not when the disaster strikes. It's before the disaster strikes. That means you allow what God's teaching you right now. And you have to play by the rules. You have to do what God says to do. It's training. This is how I look at it. And I believe it to be the case. It's training for the future that we've been trained by the Lord for the days in which we live and for that which is to come. But let me tell you something right now. How many people I see, especially at the beginning of the year, and they're in the gym. And they got all this gung-ho, lose weight, whatever. What would your guess be, and mine's just a guess as well, how many of these people actually stay through the rest of the year and keep on doing it for the rest of their life? 20%? No. There's nowhere near 20%, in my opinion. No, I think it's a little bit low, but maybe 5%. I don't know, it's just very low. They charge into it. Hey, good to see you. I'm seeing people now. I haven't seen in years. And all of a sudden, there they are, working out. Okay, that's great. That's really great. And you want to encourage that. But will you be here in a year, or in two years, in three years? That's what you need to have good health. I watch people go on a diet, and they're going to do this all gung-ho. And then um, maybe if you're walking into the home, then you see this dozen jelly donuts. <laughs> okay, you can cheat once in a while, of course, we all do, but you can't cheat with God. We can't take a day off from God, because the penalties, you know, they start to accrue. They could be little at first, but what I'm trying to say is that what we start, we've got to keep going forward. We've got to keep perfecting this thing. Our faith was not meant to diminish. It was meant to grow. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Your faith should be growing. Now, you're able to trust God for more and for more and for more. And things that would concern you 
a year ago, certainly 10 years ago, 20 years ago, doesn't concern you as much anymore because you have experience with God. And you know that God cannot fail. You know that God cannot fail. That's the power of the scriptures. The energy, so to speak, that's in the scriptures to just change your whole view. Here's my view of the pulpit. This has always been my view of the pulpit. That's not how you see it, though. The way you see the pulpit is this way. You see the logo and all of this. Then there's a view over here and a view over here. It depends on your point of view, say, the people. But I'm suggesting to you that if you're going to take any point of view, take God's Amen. on every single subject that he addresses, every single one. Everyone. What are you doing with your intellect? You got a good one? Yeah, got a pretty good one. God says, love me with all your mind. Love me with your mind. And we take it from there. The peace that the scriptures give. Look at the book if you want peace. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them, which means nothing will make you stumble. Now, because we have a dog, and he has maybe two favorite toys, he has a habit of just sometimes just dropping it in some location. And you know, it's dark, and all of a sudden you're stepping on something, or you're whatever, and can actually be serious. One of the things that older people experience is this type of thing, tripping over the cat who just decided, or that my dog will lay right behind you, behind me. And if I forget he's there, then I'm going to take a tumble and stumble over him. The Bible says that the wicked fall, but they don't even know what they're stumbling over. Try talking to an alcoholic. Try talking to a drug addict. And you keep saying to them, it's the drugs that's the problem. It's the alcohol that's the problem. It's covering up the real issues of life too. And they don't see it. When I was in the hospital some years ago with my heart surgery, I had a roommate who was drug addicted. And he had open heart surgery just like me. He was a man who slept all day long and stayed up all night long. Now, when you're recovering from heart surgery, and I have my routines, and, you know, which are kind of normal, and he's got the TV on, and he's got it loud. You know, I just got a surgery. You know, I'm trying to, and I forgot his name. I call him Dennis. Uh, I said, Dennis, can you turn that TV down? Oh, I'm sorry. And then he's getting respiratory treatments because he's a smoker, and whatever. So one of my kids would come in to visit me, and I said, hey, Dennis, this is my son, Matt. You know, hey, how you doing? And he says, I'll tell you one thing, stay away from the cigarettes. Now, this is a lifelong drug addict. He was a smoker, too. Tells my son, stay away from the cigarettes. And I said, yeah, and the drugs, too. He said, no, the drugs are okay. <laughs> and I was there when our surgeon, we had the same surgeon, came in and told him, because he was complaining, oh, I can't breathe. He said, look, at, you did drugs all this time, and this is the result. There's nothing I can do. He was my surgeon, too. That's what the surgeon told my roommate. There's nothing I can do. Thankfully, God can do something, but still, he didn't play by the rules. And these are the results. And let us be clear about this. God is not mocked. For whatsoever things a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow good things, you reap good things. I mean, eventually in a certain fashion and form. And the same with evil things. It's just a principle that none of us can avoid. None of us can avoid that. I was going to a dinner back in the days when they had this organization, for those of you not familiar with it, called the Full Gospel Businessmen. And I was a frequent speaker at these events all over Westchester County and up here as well. And I would share my testimony, and that's what they were all about. You share how you came to Christ and so forth. They were very good meetings. I had a friend I had been sharing with uh, at work about the Lord and invited him to this dinner. He was a Jewish guy. While we were on our way to the dinner, we were talking in the car, and I was just sharing scripture verses and scripture verses and scripture verses. 
And he said to me at some point in our conversation, he said, Ray, I really don't care about all that. I just want peace. Now listen, let's get honest for a second here, okay? When disaster strikes and turmoil strikes and tribulation strikes, what happens to you, peace? If you tell me, oh, nothing, you're either lying or you're not in touch with reality. Because nobody goes through this life without fear. No one. Not me, not you, no one. It's just those that overcome it. A refusal to give in to it. A refusal to give up. A refusal to not violate God in believing God that he is in control and so on and so forth. It's a refusal to not believe the book. You say, I believe this, Lord. I believe this. Though the facts at the moment are up against it, I believe this. Look it, as this saying has been around for some time now since we grew up, some of those baby boomers, let's get real. Let's get real peace, not theoretical peace. So you read about peace, peace, peace. Oh, I got peace, and you can quote it. That's great, but do you actually have it? And I'm gonna say this again. When it comes to fear, there is no one exempt from fear. No one. It's just those who either endure or endure until they overcome it, until there is no more fear on that issue. But it's always going to be attacking you all your life and other things. But the opposite of fear is love. There is no fear in love, for fear hath torment. And when you're fearful, you get a bad report. Things go wrong on the left, the right, and the center all at once. Throw in a rat for good luck. And your mind is spinning, and the fear comes back. What's going to happen? What's going to, you know? And then you say, uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't care what happens. That book says this. With God, nothing is impossible, and I'm with you always. And you start going through the scriptures. And then you got to actually put it to practice, and you got to get up, and you get, you get yourself dressed, and you just you go forward because the results are in God's hands. The results are in God's hands. Oh, here's the good news. Those that trust in him shall never be ashamed. And it doesn't look like that sometimes at the moment. I know, but it says, and I found this to be true, of course, in experience, those that trust in the Lord shall never be ashamed that they did that. That's the peace the scriptures give us. Look at the book. Look at the book. I want to read something to you from a book. It's called How to Read a Book. The author, maybe a few of you may be familiar with, Mortimer Adler. He was an intellectual. He did become a Christian at the end of his life, but not the kind sometimes we picture. He was an intellectual. He was intelligent. I'm not saying Christians are not intelligent. I'm just saying sometimes they don't act intelligent. Well, he did. He was a professor at Columbia University, the University of Chicago. And he wrote a book on how to read a book. It's a very, very good book if you're interested in taking your time and going into the depths of it. But listen to this. He has advice on all types of materials to read, but he has advice on what I will call the Bible as a practical book. I don't know if you've ever listened to some preachers, but you could get bored to death. You don't know where they're going. It's like the book of Acts. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. You don't know where they're starting, where they're ending, what's the goal. I already told you what the goal is. The goal of this message, at the end of this message, is to get you to constantly look at the book and see what it says and then apply it to your life. Mortimer Adler on how to read a practical book, a how-to, says this, and this has application for us. The most important thing to remember about any practical book, he wasn't speaking about the Bible, just the how-to, you know, how to do anything. The most important thing to remember about any practical book is that it can never solve the practical problems with which it is concerned. Huh. Because he says a theoretical book can solve its own problems, but a practical book can only be solved by action itself. When your practical problem is how to earn a living, a book on how to make friends and influence people cannot solve it. Though it may suggest things to do, nothing short of doing 
solves the problem. It is solved only by earning a living. And went on to say in the same vein, unless it is so read, a practical book is not read as practical. To fail to read a practical book as practical is to read it poorly. You really do not understand it and you cannot certainly criticize it properly in any other way. If the intelligibility of rules is to be found in principles, it is no less true than the significance of practical principles is to be found in the rules they lead to, the actions they recommend. I left you last week with something I leave you with a lot. So let me, why not, let's revisit it. Love one another. You shake your head. I've seen the most astonishing things from, oddly enough, people who claim to be the spiritual person. They don't say those words, but that's the demeanor. I had a dream last night. So did I. Uh, what about it? The Lord told me to tell you. I said, I'm on good terms with the Lord. Why is he telling you to tell me? Well, I'm just talking to him. And you mean, what, he forgot something? Oh, I wasn't open to it? And you go through all this, can I be blunt? Stupidity. All this stupidity. I know what the book says. And what Adler is advocating here, if you're reading a book on how-to and you don't actually do it, the book had no value at all. I want to suggest to you that overall, the Bible is a practical book. It's a book on how to reach heaven. It's a book on eternal life. It's a book on how to live while you're here. But if you don't do it, it has no value. Except to, listen, except to make you feel spiritual. Now, like people can feel tough. And Mike Tyson, I think, was the one that said it. Everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face. You can feel tough until you actually meet someone who is tough. Then the whole thing changes. You get the point. You think you're smart until you meet someone who's really smart. You can read the Bible and maybe even say a prayer. But God knows the heart. Whether we're really serious about applying this because God says it works. Apply this and watch me come through. And again, our problem is the clock. Is well, <laughs> see, God should have been here half an hour ago. <laughs> a day ago, a week ago. Where is God? Well, those are questions we've all had. But God is saying, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than yours. I'm working something out. And God always says, in one manner, fashion, or form or another, always says, no, trust me. But if you listen to so many Christians speak, trust is not what you hear coming out of their mouth. Well, I don't know how this is all going to turn out. Really? You don't know? The book says this. We know how it's going to turn out. Why? Because... What say the scripture? What does it say? We know how it's going to turn out. So now we follow the path of what Jesus said to do. And you'll find as you walk along, as difficult as it is at times, God keeps coming through. I want to show you something here. This is not as elaborate as I have in my other Bibles, but and some of you, I've shown this to you. In almost all my Bibles, there's a couple of exceptions, newer Bibles that I bought. I draw an altar. What to me looks like an Old Testament altar with the stones and the flames and little sticks of wood. And I put a date in there. The first time I did this was in January 1999 or something. I had to go back to the original Bible I have. And I do it every so many years. And what I did is I listed, actually I listed on a sheet of paper. Then I put them in my Bible, my life, my ministry, my friendships. Ten things that represented as much as I could think of represents my entire life. I took the same sheet of paper with the same ten areas. I had a fire in the fireplace going. I was home alone in prayer that day, and I took it and I put it in the fire, and I said, God, these are yours now. I don't own them anymore. Money, all these different things. Now, here's a good illustration of what I'm trying to say. It was a very emotional moment. I'm feeling very close to God. He has my whole life. Now, I've given him my life many times, but from time to time, I would do it again and again. 
And then this time I said, well, let me have a point of reference. So I did it with the Bible. And as I said, I, you know, I can show you my Bibles. You'll turn them open and you'll see an altar. And this one doesn't have the list, but a list of all the things and the date that I did it and the date I did it again and the date I did it again. And at that moment, you're just feeling so, so spiritual. It's actually romantic. Like dating compared to marriage. Dating is great. Marriage is different. And you know what I'm talking about. A tube of toothpaste can cause major conflict in a home. Why do you always squeeze it? Why do you put it back over here? I always keep it on the left. You put it on the right. All right, there's a difference between dating and marriage. And then we look at the book here and say, oh, Lord, you know, I just give you my life and take this and take that. Now, here's the thing. In my experience over the last 20-something years since I did that, one by one, God's been taking things from me. Hmm. See, my thought was, I put these things down, all of a sudden, you dress for success, sing a few songs, things just start popping. They started popping, all right. God took out his knife and said, death to that. Friendship was on there, because I think very highly of my friends. Death to that. Found out that not all my friends are really friends. Ministry, death to that. And over the years, and God is merciful that he didn't do it all at once. He just kept initiating death so that I might have life. Amen. That I might find out what it's really all about. In theory, right, dating and marriage should, you know, because how many weddings have I done? And you look at these faces of these young, usually the young people, and you look at their faces and they're just shining and all this stuff there. And then two years, maybe less, they're in the office there. <laughs> See, it's romantic. Oh, it's just like, can I say a little something here about me? And you're never going to see this on Facebook. Ever. To my better half, who is my all in all and my inspiration. Now, my wife is used to me, so she knows this, so I'm not saying something wrong. And I look at this and I say, Come on, man. Well, it's not women, I'm talking about his men. I say, Come on, seriously, man. I don't know how she put up with me all these years. Didn't anybody know that this is a two way street? I mean, forgive me, ladies. Just give me a break here, okay? It's, you know, forgiveness is part of the gospel. Did you really think that living with you all these years has been such a picnic? And there's some women that do. And there's some men that can see that. I don't know why she puts up with me. Well, maybe she has good cause. Maybe you have good cause to say that. I don't know. But I don't do that syrupy romantic stuff. I don't say that I don't love my wife. I do. But I ain't doing that. <laughs> with tears and all this and the little, little emojis over the place. I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't care what's involved. I'm not doing that. Because to me, love is just a decision that you keep making over and over and over again. And I'm just not doing that. But we do it with God. I so love you. Oh, I want your will in my life. Okay, fine. We heard a, oh, I won't mention the church because we're on the air. But we heard a mention of the prayer meeting down at a certain big church in Manhattan. And I was there one night when one of my friends was one of the associate pastors. And it was a prayer meeting night. And I went to pray with them and then meet with him. And we went out to fellowship. He said, you know, if you have a word of exhortation for the church tonight, just, you know, let me know. I said, no, I'm good. Just here to pray. That's it. But while I was praying, I felt God spoke something to my heart. So I went over to the, my friend, the pastor, and I said, you know, I feel like I have something for the people. And this is what it was. You see, again, when you're emoting, which is not a bad thing. It's, yeah, I think it's still good. I like to watch, you know, preachers that are emotional, the good ones. And uh, Lord, take it all. Take it all, Lord. Take it all. Take it all. Take it all. Take it. Everybody say, take it all. And I get up and I told the story, which I don't have time to tell you now. 
But I told the story of a man who prayed that exact prayer on a Friday night, and by Saturday morning, everything was taken from him, except his wife and his child, his business, his home, well, everything. House burnt to the ground in 24 hours, which had his business in it on computers back before it was the cloud and all his backup stuff. He lost a business, he lost the home, everything in the home, photographs, everything, because he said to God, take it all. And God said, tonight, I'll take it all. Now, here's the same church that you mentioned. And I told that story. I said, now, here's the thing for you. You ask God to take it all. What if he does? If I threw a cough drop on the floor, it would have sounded like a nuclear weapon. Because nobody ever considered it in that romantic moment, like a wedding. Will you keep him in sickness and in health for better or for worse and forsaking all others? I do. And then in my office, I have to pull out those vows from time to time and say, it got worse. And this is the vow you took. And I spent time going over the vows. I said, you're going to take a vow before God. Now, I understand divorces happen. Don't get me wrong. I'm not putting you on a guilt when it can't be altered or changed. I'm just simply saying we have to be careful. Solomon tells us, he says, when you go before God, don't speak too much. Don't talk too much. Take my life. Well, I meant it when I said take my life. And I'm glad that I did. I just didn't know enough when I said it exactly how it would go. I didn't know that God would take me serious. And again, I watched God take a knife, and I have a Bible that's literally, if you squeeze it, just dripping with blood. And then I have to say, and maybe God is watching me to see how I respond, and I have to say, okay, God, I asked you to take it. You took it. You gave. You've taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. When you go out tomorrow to your place of employment or whatever you're involved in, are you able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? not turning out the way you thought, but he's still the healer. He's still the deliverer. He's still the one that crowns us with success and on and on and on. And that's the real test because it just doesn't come easy. Let me finish with this here. Max Lucado has a story in one of his books of an Irish woman who at the turn of the century, back in the 1800s, decided to be the very first person in her neighborhood to have electricity, which was a big deal back then. So she installed the electricity, and everybody was wondering about this new thing. One day, the company sent over the meter reader and noticed that since she's had the electricity, there's hardly any movement. She's hardly using it. So he just, you know, was curious, and he asked this woman, he said, I noticed that there's not much use of the electricity yet. Do you actually use it? And she said, well, yeah, I turn on the electric to light the candles and turn it back off again. <laughs> well, that's what she did. But when you read the Bible, do you read the Bible and see what it says and just go back to doing the way? It's the same illustration. Here's the power. Here's the power. And do you say, I got the power? Anybody can say, you got the power. Prove it. I got the power. Okay, prove it. Or are you just using the Bible to go around and do things the way you always do it and say, now God bless this. And God's saying, I won't. Do it my way because that's the way it's designed. That's the way it's supposed to work. Does that sound like you? brought the Bible into your, your life. Some of you have had it all your life. But is it the book that's bringing the power through you and the Holy Spirit? Or do you read it, close it, and then go around lighting all the candles, which is exactly what you've been doing all your life? When you pray and you say to God, take it, do you really give it over? Do you walk away from it and say, God, it's in your hands? Our tendency, all of us, all of us, me included, all of us, is to worry. But that's where the battle goes on in the mind. To say, no, 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 no. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him, casting it on him, for he careth for you. What we do is we quote the scripture, 1 Peter 5, 7, I'm casting all my care upon you, and we give this to God, 
and then when we're all done, we go back, and all we're doing is lighting candles when God has electricity. And letting go is not easy. I'm not here to tell you this is not difficult. It's difficult. But are you going around with the power of God sitting right on your lap, and all you're doing is the same thing over and over again? Things never change for me, Pastor. Well, of course not. You're doing the exact same thing you did a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20, 25, 30, whatever, and you're looking for different results. But I read the Bible, but that's not enough. You look at the book to take the instructions of what to do and how to live. I said earlier about loving one another. That's not easy to do. If you look just in this sanctuary today, we all come from all kinds of different backgrounds. There are many people who used to love me as a pastor who don't love me as a pastor now. And why? Because of my speech or my background or my personality. What they did not understand is that when you take in this net, Christ takes in a net, there's all different types of fish in there. You're different from me. I'm different from you. Where you grew up and your environment and your parents and how it was done at your home and your education and all these different things make us different. And Jesus didn't say, love the ones that are like you. You can't identify with me because I grew up in South Yonkers on the streets and you went to some Ivy League school. No, you should love one another. Look at the apostles. Do you realize how diverse the apostles were? You have Matthew, who's a publican. He works for the IRS. He's the guy who goes to church with you, the synagogue. And it says, um, Staff Sergeant, uh, we have to look at your books. You no good traitor. Because that guy there is Simon Zelates. His philosophy is kill the Romans. We need another civil war. Yeah. We'll give them to him before they give it to us anymore. We'll stab him in the back. The other guy is a tax collector. Was this a mistake that Jesus made? Shouldn't he got all zelates, zealous, kill, 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 kill? That's the American way. We love to kill. Well, it's not the American way. Well, certainly not Christ's way. Or are we all supposed to be working for the government and then calling up on each other? So-and-so didn't get a test. Just letting you know. Do you realize this dynamic group of people, these 12, and then you have Judas Iscariot, how diverse they were? And he says, now, love one. See, this is how the message gets deep. Love one another. You don't like the way I pray. I don't like the way you pray. You pray too short. You pray too long. Bop, bop, bop. And God says, yeah, love one another. Let's start with that. Then work your way through the rest. There's a lot of instructions in here. Don't say you're going to pray if you don't pray. Look at the book. This is the road. This is the sextant. This is what's leading us. People in this age, just like every age, they're going to do what they're going to do. I want to say this in a colloquial, off-the-cuff, and off-handed manner. People are dropping like flies. Christian people. I wish I could get to church. Yeah. I wish you could rub a genie's lamp. Wishing and hoping. Do it. Do it. And stop wishing. Because life is not going to let up on you. When the bell rings, we don't have a bell. When the bell rings for service time, you're there. When you get up, and I'll assume that you read in the morning. When you get up in the morning, you grab your, this is what I do. I grab my coffee, I sit down, and this is the first thing I read. Every day, that's just how I begin my day. And you do it. And when you do, then the God who brought you to the Red Sea, while the Egyptian armies are behind you, and it's impossible, and all the people that you're leading are all saying, you got us into this. And he's saying, God told me. Then he says, oh, Lord, the Egyptians are behind us. We've got an ocean in front of us. And God says, watch this. Stand still. Moses is told to stand still. He had fear just like us. Read these patriarchs. And God says, stand still and see. The salvation of the Lord. All of a sudden, whoosh, they walked on dry land, as it were, dry land. The Egyptians said, if they did it, they're Jews. We could do it. Didn't work out so well. 
Brothers, sisters, look at the book. This is the sextant. You and I are like Shackleton and his men in that 20-foot long boat. And the waves, they're not only 100 feet high, or some of them, they're frigid. But Shackleton and his men made it, and we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Let's go to prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, <laughs> remind me of the country song, I never promised you a rose garden. Well, in biblical terms, it's, I never promised you a rose garden in this world. But in the next, there's going to be plenty of roses, plenty of flowers. Because that's what the book says. And we're looking at the book. We're looking at the book. Oh, God, strengthen your people today. How many of you, just keep your heads bowed, would you please? How many of you today, you just know you need to be strengthened? You know, problems, trials, tribulations. How many? You up against it, you know? Because I know most of what you're going through because, you know, we talk in emails and text messages. Okay. So we need to be strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man. We need that strength. The trials are probably not going away, not just yet. But if we have the strength to endure, we have the strength to go through, we will be more than conquerors through him that loved us. Father, it's no surprise to me. I already knew I could preach this message in any church anywhere and ask the people who's going through an issue, and it's everybody. But you're still God, and you have not changed, and you're not going to change. You're still God. You are still God. And though you test us and allow us to be tested, even by Satan himself, like Job, we are going to be able to say also like Job, I know when he's finished testing me. I'm going to come out of this like gold, purified, tried in the furnace. We bless you and we praise you and we thank you today, Father God, that we have hope. We have hope in this world. Bless you, Father. We bless your mighty name. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Is there anybody here today you've never actually been born again? I mean, you never really asked Christ into your life? And I'm going to say to you today, you know, if that's the case, you've never really asked Christ to come into your life, just say to today, Jesus, come in my life. I will confess you with my mouth, because I believe in the heart that God has raised you from the dead. And I know that I've sinned against you, and the penalty of sin is death. But you came to free me from the penalty of sin and the penalty of death, and give me the gift, free gift of eternal life. If that's you today, you've never received Christ before, make that your prayer. Open up your heart and receive Christ. And receive the gift of eternal life. And you know what? If you have done that, you can just email me privately. And say, so I was in this service that day and received Christ as my Savior. And we can chat a little bit via email. Or just simply come back next week and just keep worshiping and keep moving and get your instructions. Let's stand this morning. Someone who listens to the radio once some years ago, we have a pretty good sized audience there. He called me up and was talking to me. And he says, you know, Pastor, those people that you preach to, they must love you. They have to listen to those kind of messages every week. <laughs> and I said, well, they do. They, yes, they, do. they do love me. So why don't you come on down and be part of the group? We're going to make it. We're going to make it. So remind us, Lord, to love you first with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the intellect, all of the strength. And then remind us as diverse and different in personality, education, environment that we are. Remind us to love one another. This is the day that you have made and we will give you all of the praise. We will give you all of the glory and we will give you all the honor today. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen again? Amen. amen. amen.